I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of didn't really know what the hell I was doing at one level. I'd not been brought up or enculturated into um, that, that whole world of divination as part of a way of life. It was like totally alien to me. I was just literally turned up, you know, had some cards, and I realized that when I shuffled them and, and laid them out, voices spoke to me and I saw images. Like it was sort of almost, it, it didn't feel like this was some special gift. It just felt like this is just what I did. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Her Drive Podcast. Um, this is Cynthia Kremblet, your host, and I'm excited for today's guest. Um, her name is Kate Thomas, and she's a highly trained psychic and professional witch. And um, I'm very excited to share her story. I was just in the UK. We were unable to connect in person, but thought we'd give it a go um, and just do an audio interview. So, hey, Kate, how are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled that we could do this. And um, yeah, I can't wait. All right. Well, um, as far as what you do, I'm sure, sure when people find out what you do, they're always like, I have a million questions, like I'm going to ask you. Um, so if if uh, there was going to be like a roadside billboard to describe you and your work, what would it look like and say? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I suppose the first answer would be it would probably be covered in gold because everything that I touch and have anything to do with, I like to be like blinged out. So, um, <laughs> love that. Yeah, bright, bright colors and a lot of gold. Um, but I suppose what it would say is that I work as a professional psychic and and witch, which um, a lot of people, as you say, are like fascinated by because they kind of think they know what it means, but aren't certain. Um, and so on, on a practical level, what that means is that I um, make my living by doing divinations for people. So I read tarot cards and describe to them everything that I'm seeing and hearing. Uh, and then also I do spells to cause material change in people's reality. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> after this interview, I'm going to have so, <laughs> so much for you. <laughs> um, okay. Well, for some folks, I'm sure that's like, okay, this is like hocus pocus. This is nonsense. Like this cannot possibly be real. I'm someone who believes in this, this work that you're doing. So um, can you kind of like dive into I guess there's not really science that proves any, maybe there's science that proves anything. That's a a fascinating thing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the first thing to say is I was brought up in a very scientific background. So my family are all, my parents are both scientists, Um, you know, anything religious or spiritual or anything that wasn't very rational and logical was dismissed as, as, as nonsense. So I actually grew up believing that um, all psychic phenomena, magic, any stuff like that was, was actually just rubbish and people, you know, deluding themselves. Um, And it wasn't really until I was about 16 or 17 that I started to actively have have that belief challenged um, by my own experience. So so I have a lot of respect and understanding for people that initially just would assume that, you know, what, what the work that I do is has no rational foundation to it. But um, what's really fascinating is the more that you research what's actually going on in a, in a, in magical processes or psychic phenomena, phenomena, what one realizes is that it's, it's actually very rational. It's very um, natural. I suppose I would use that word cautiously, but um, it's not something that is supernatural or outside of external to the normal everyday world we live in almost the opposite. It's, it's about harnessing very natural energies and the energy of the universe, if you like, um, understanding it and, and refocusing it in, in a particular direction. Oh, fascinating. Okay. So you had mentioned that you first started to have um, some type of experiences when you were a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you kind of walk me through what started to happen? Yeah. um, So 
I actually, looking back, could see once I was 17, 16, 17 and realised that the sort of way that I had experienced the world was not normal. I was able to look back and realise that the experiences I were having, you know, I could remember from as early as the age of four or five years old. So I'd always, um, yeah, I suppose experienced the world in, in a slightly or very unusual way. Um, I would just know information about things that I shouldn't rationally know about. Um, I would see particular beings, I guess. That's the best way of putting them. They, for me, were just like friends, but they weren't mm. rationally friends. They were, re- you know, real people, but not real people that other people could see. Um, and that these people would have conversations with me. They would talk to me and tell me things. Um, and later on, now I have a sort of understanding or a framework that at least allows me to understand that that those were probably my spirit guides. Um, and so, yes, from, from very early on, from being a child, I, I would just get, I had access, I suppose, I had access to extra information about things. And often this would cause me get me into a lot of trouble um but it also protected me an awful lot from um a lot of trauma and a lot of difficult situations that without these sort of relationships with my guides or this extra bit of information uh, that I had access to probably I might not have survived as well so for me I think my my intuition or my psychic abilities are sort of very connected and tied to my traumatic childhood I think that they sort of I'm so sorry okay I'm glad it's you not me (laughs) Um, um, developed as a as a sort of coping mechanism and survival mechanism really um, for me and then as I grew older and was able to start you know exploring the world outside of my that which my family had you know um, taught me or given me access to I started to learn that there were other people that had experiences similar to, to mine and that these people were called um, clairsentience or clairvoyance. And I just started to learn, I suppose, um, at the age of 16, 17, about different ways in which the, the world and the universe can be experienced. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. So in at that age, did you, when you started to have these experiences, did you um, share anything with your parents about what was going on? Yeah, I mean, as a child, I would share everything. Children do, right? They just sort of um, innocently <laughs> kind of explain what's going on for them, and it's all very normal. And I think um, the thing that has been most interesting to recognize for me growing up as an adult and going through, you know, 20 years of therapy, as most adults kind of that have the funds to be able to do so ought to um, do is realize just how much my parents response to my sharing my my experience of the world negatively impacted me um so when i did tell my parents about what i was seeing or um, the voices i was hearing or the information that i had access to they would uh, i think my parents were scared honestly but their response was to ridicule ridicule it and um you know dismiss it out of very um in in a very extreme way and and the most effective way to dismiss anything is to ridicule it actually so so yeah they would just laugh at me to the point where I would sort of quickly learn not to share anything I'd be very very cautious about you know telling them anything that I that I experienced or 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 that happened to me whether that was you know what happened to me at school like a like any normal child or uh, you know, weird experience. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference as to what was acceptable and what wasn't. So I just stopped oh. sharing, really. And has has your um, uh, since then? I'm. I would imagine that that would cause quite a riff in the in the family. Um, mm-hmm. Have you like found a way to like work through that relationship with your with your parents and still you know continue down this journey that you're you're on? I mean, or- I I tried for. So the short answer is absolutely not. <laughs> so um, I tried for, I think, about 32 years. I was I was really trying very hard, as I think most people do, even if they have, you know, problematic or even abusive parents. You know, we, we sort of really value and want our parents in our lives. And I certainly tried for about 32 years to maintain a relationship with my parents, despite their, um, you know, quite aggressive um, dismissal of of who I was I realized it's not just so much the work I was doing because 
um, you know, I, I haven't always done this this work, um, although it has always been who I am. Um, but then after I think I got to the age of 32 and I just thought, God, this is this is exhausting. And also, you know, totally um, at odds with with my health, my mental health. And I just don't need the validation of these people that don't care enough about me to sort of accept me as I am. So so at, um, yes, that's almost seven years ago now. I think I don't have I, I have no contact with either either parent and, and actually um, you know, it's really significantly improved my life, to be honest with you, you know, you know, yeah. sort of immediately, almost immediately things got better for me without, you know, it's so always so difficult to, I think if one tries and ch- tries to chase approval from anyone, um, you know, it's, it, you're, you're, you're sort of fighting a totally losing battle. Um, and particularly I think with parents and um, parental approval, it's, almost never given anyway but certainly if you're in any way unusual or, or, or weird as I clearly am um it's almost inevitably never going to happen anyway so you might as well just give up early I wish I'd have given up you know 20 years earlier than I did but you know it was well, the age of 32. Okay well I um I, th- I think that's very difficult I have a um age um a lack thereof relationship with my father. And it actually took, I'm 29. Um, you know, I feel like there's many years where we didn't speak. Right. And just this past uh, summer, fall, I read a book called um, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Mm-hmm. And that book um, helped me to at least look at those uh, personality traits and damages within my father and help remove kind of the fantasy that eventually he's going to change or accept me or be different. Um, obviously our stories are completely different. Um, but it helped me realize, you know what, you don't have to have a relationship with him. You can, you choose all of your other relationships. You can choose to not be, have one with him. So, and, and kind of the same as you, as you said, like once I accepted that, I'm like, okay, I feel relatively like whole and healed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really healthy. And I also think that, you know, culturally we're so um we're we're socialized and we're taught that that family is the most important thing. And really when we start to unpack what that actually means, what most people mean when they when they're saying family is, you know, a sort of two point four children, two parents, one male, one female, a couple of kids. And and actually we have to start asking, I think, you know, what who is saying that family is so important and particularly what that what family means. And there's mm-hmm. always an agenda. And the agenda is most of the time um to sort of prevent people from to, to keep people in line in some way, culturally and socially. And I just think, you know, um the most problematic and, and damaging relationships with most people's lives are from their parents or family members mm-hmm. um, so it seems sort of once one has actually done the therapeutic work as, as you've just described in, in like examining the relationship for what it is despite you know what we're told that we must have parental um, relationships then you start to realize gosh this is actually really toxic for me and it's creating um cycles of, of of abuse in my life and you know one has to sort of I think recognize that you have an ability to take responsibility to stop engaging in certain behaviors um, and so I think it's it's really a, a real courageous act to actually just sort of walk away from a parental relationship um, so yes I, I, I think it sounds like you did a very good thing really <laughs> <laughs> thank you time will tell well so getting back to your journey um so we talked about kind of what was going on as a teenager. Um, you went on to university. Can you kind of like walk me through your your early adult life up until, you know, where you are now? Like, what did you study? What work did you do? And how did you get to where you are now? Um, okay, so I left home as soon as I could. So I left home at 15 um, and moved in with my boyfriend at the time. Um, that was not a great relationship, like sort of pretty textbook classic abusive relationship actually but it was sort of better than the 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 family life that I had at home so it was still kind of a a, you know a good move in that regard it was an improvement um and so I I finished school um a year early I did my exams a year early just so that I could leave the my the town that I was living in 
And then I carried on in education, went to university. I I was very aware that I had this collection of um, unique abilities, let's say. I'm very hesitant to call them gifts. But, um, you know, at this by this point, I was reading cards for friends. I just sort of encountered the tarot when I was 17 um, and, you know, was sort of reading for friends and friends of friends, not charging any money just because I was really fascinated by everything that I could see. It was such an exciting thing to be able to do for someone. Um, and, but I carried on. I went to university and decided that I wanted to um, study classics. So I, I did a degree in ancient um, Greek literature. And, you know, all was, all was sort of well on the surface. Although, you know, I think like most 17 or 18-year-olds, if one's in a relationship, it's not often very healthy or good. Um, but... I think I had plans at that point to continue on and eventually my plan was to train as a as a as a barrister I don't know what, if you have barristers in this like an attorney you know um oh, okay mm-hmm. um and I got through my degree finished the first degree and at the same time as finishing that first degree I had um made a, a, a trip to Glastonbury which is a, a town in the southwest of England which is often considered or broadly considered the center of the new age in in England uh-huh. so it's uh-huh. really um a town that's kind of filled every other shop it's a crystal shop there's every form of new age healing and whatever else is available there um and I I encountered Glastonbury went for the first time visited for the first time and just fallen in love with this place although I sort of also hated it because I was still fighting against this sort of rationalist materialist um worldview that I that I still had uh, was still uh, uh, had adopted um but yes at the end of the degree I I become fully invested and involved in the study of western esoteric um traditions which is to say like studies of magic and um, ancient magical traditions in the western um part of the world and so when it came to finishing my degree and deciding what else what I was going to do next, I had a choice, really. It was um, either continue my education as I planned and do a conversion course, which would have qualified me to eventually be a solicitor. Um, or I thought, well, I'll, maybe I could survive making a living reading tarot cards in Glastonbury. And um, yeah. so I just thought, OK, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And so I moved to Glastonbury. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, so I'm just looking at this and I'm like, okay, you are kind of on this normal Western society highway mm-hmm. to what everybody says, this is what you should have, this is what you should want. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you know what? Forget that. I'm going to go almost like off-roading yeah, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> was, it, was it a really bumpy journey at, at first? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think by that, point I had given up hope of well I mean maybe that's not true I was going to say I'd given up hope of approval from my parents um I think I realized that I was never really going to get um the approval that I sought um and half of if not more than half of the reason I was trained to be a lawyer was because that's what my parents wanted me to do Mm. and um and I, I just was so happy when I was in Glastonbury and I couldn't really deny that you know I was really really um, very calm and sort of joyful, which was was rare for me because I grew up with terrible depression and anxiety. Um, and so when it came to making a decision about, you know, do I carry on with academia, which I had always been very able at, like academia was not something that I struggled with particularly, although I had, you know, a collection of uh, how would I say it? like I'm very dyslexic so I had like practical issues with the comprehension I still was able to communicate you know my thought adequately and have and have original thoughts so I never struggled with academia but it just didn't excite me at all um so it was a bit scary I suppose to make that decision but then also in another way it's it's sort of it was like the path kind of fell in front of me it's such a cliche but it really did feel like that like you know I immediately got um a job in a shop and you know within a couple of weeks I was reading tarot cards Uh, I mean the job that I got was just working as a sales assistant but I started reading tarot cards for friends of friends and then started charging 10 pounds for a reading which seemed like a huge amount of money to me at the time um (laughs) 
and and the pressure of charging people money to sort of do this thing which I didn't even know no one had trained me how to do I was just had taught myself felt immense um but then it it, it it just immediately took off. I think um, it wasn't that bumpy because I was very fortunate. And as soon as I started work, uh, it, I just, the work increased through word of mouth. It was just spread like wildfire. And then suddenly I was busier doing readings than I was um, working hours in the shop. And it was much more profitable for me to be doing readings than, than working in the shop. So yeah, I mean, I can't honestly say. I mean, the bumpiness was the 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 act, active choice to walk away from, or what felt like turning my back on a sort of conventional life of success and financial stability, to be literally like living like a gypsy in Glastonbury, reading tarot cards, you know, not knowing if I'd earn ten pounds that day or nothing. Um, but I, I've never really worried very much about. About that I've been extremely extremely poor and not been able to eat because I've not had food but it's never really made me existentially anxious if, if you see what I mean it's you know practically it's been difficult but um yeah I, I I sort of always ended up knowing that it would work out and, and it did <laughs> <laughs> clearly wow um there's like just so many things that I want to, to ask as far as following following up from from that that journey um when when you first started to do the readings and people were coming to you, was there ever like um, a bit of an ego that came into play? And like how I would imagine there would be, but maybe yeah. not. I mean, I was I was 19, 20, I think I was 20 at this point. So I was so young and in a, in a in a way i was very fortunate in that my ego was just absolutely not to d- allowed to develop despite how successful i was because there were much older tarot readers in glastonbury all around me constantly battering me down <laughs> you know in a kind of hilarious way i i i don't know i mean i i sort of didn't really know what the hell I was doing at one level. I'd not been brought up or enculturated into um, that that whole world of divination as part of a way of life. It was like totally alien to me. I was just literally turned up, you know, had some cards, and I realised that when I shuffled them and, and laid them out, voices spoke to me and I saw images. Like it was sort of almost, it, it didn't feel like this was some special gift. It just felt like this is just what I did. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, there was a lot, the, the, the difficulty of Glastonbury in my years in Glastonbury was that I think a lot of, I put a lot of people's noses out of joint because I wasn't anything like the other readers in, in many different ways. But, you know, I was just like a 20, 20, 21 year old kid who, you know, didn't really have anything to do with the spiritual side of things didn't have a religious tradition um and yet was busier than anyone else and I think you know I pissed people off frankly um my ego was not allowed really to develop I just kind of it felt very much like survival I just acted as I was just going to work like I would have like exactly as I would have gone to work working in the in the shop as I had you know I've worked in supermarkets and shops and all of that it was just the same you know honestly so I didn't I, I never really associated the the visions that I had or the things that I could see or the information that I had access to with me. It really never felt like it was me. So not really. I mean, the ego developed later when I had to defend myself against, <laughs> you know, um, people later on, I suppose. One has to, one has to, especially as a woman, like one has to build up a sense of self and self-esteem and ego. Um, and I think ego is super important just as long as it's kept in balance and, and, and you know, um, but, but then it was the opposite. I, I had very low self-esteem, like extremely low self-esteem. I stay, I was in a relationship that I shouldn't have been in for like, you know, nine years. Um, ah, yeah. So that kept me down as well. You, you can always trust an abusive man to keep you down. <laughs> oh my, my God. This is like the theme of the day. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. yeah. This is like something I've been thinking a lot about, um, over the last, like, well, since I woke this morning, um, about abusive people, but specifically abusive men. So mm-hmm. you're, you're doing these readings for people and you're, you're hearing and seeing, um, these visions and these voices. And, and how were you, I mean, do you, were you seeing like your spirit guides, were they talking to you about what was happening in your own life as well? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Not, I mean, I don't know is the answer because even now looking back, I could say, well, 
they were trying to get me out of that situation in so many different ways, but I just was not able to see or hear. Um, it's incredible how stubborn we can be. And I'm one of the most stubborn people I know. So I'm never surprised when I see clients and they, their guides have really specific, direct information for them. You know, they're like told this is what you need to do. Um, and they still resist it. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that because I did it myself. So I think, yes, they, they were, they were all, I've always felt very, very pushed by my guides. I don't think guided is really the right word. Like I felt like deep antagonism towards them. <laughs> I'm like fuck off I don't want you to be here I don't want to do this job I don't want to you know like that's the other thing to mention is this was not something that I ever really wanted it just was the quickest and most effective way for me to be making money honestly um because I was good at it and uh I was concerned with paying my rent and then I certainly I enjoyed the satisfaction and the sense of like being able to help someone, which sounds as cheesy as it gets, but like it's truly the only purpose I think that it has any meaning in the world is doing something that has impact, positive impact on another. But um, other than, you know, that that was a side effect, I suppose, um, of the work rather than the reason I was doing it. I was doing it to pay my rent, you know. Um, wow. So, so, yeah. And have you have you grown to to love and embrace what you're doing? Um, yes, I think very, very honestly, within the last five years, um, there's been a huge, a huge shift. And the biggest change I think for me was, it's really, I think probably it's the same for everybody. It, it becomes, one gets to a certain point in life where you have to just accept who you are and, and really, you know, pay attention to who that is and and respect it and then start making space for her in the world. And I think that, again, you know, for, for people that are not men and for women in particular, um, you know, it's actually often very, very difficult for us to make space for who we are in the world because we've been constantly taught not to do that. You know, like there is just no encouragement for us to even ask, who are we? What do I want? Like, you know, these questions are not, not questions that we're encouraged to ask. And so for me, I think it took a really long time to take seriously the answers to those questions and also accept a little bit, like, you know, there's not very much I can do about the fact that I mean, there's lots of things in my life I have very, no, very little control or no control over. And one of them is I have this ability to hear spirit guides and I have this ability to know things um and so there's a collection of things I can do with that um and the best possible way that I can use that fact is to help people that I want to help um mm -hmm. and create a good life for myself as a as a side effect of that help but you know I think it's really just about acceptance and so now yeah because I've managed to carve out a life for myself where I work you know, three days a week, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty chill about it, you know, <laughs> but, um, it really did take, you know, I'm, I'm 38, I think now, um, it took a very, a very long time to accept that this was, you know, who I, who I was, uh, I didn't want it to be, I wanted, I still, I still had ambitions of being a, ba of a barrister and a lawyer up until, you know, five years ago, even, um, so, yeah, but now, now I'm very, kind of accepting of it and have decided to just make the best I think that's the thing you need to accept who you are and make the best of it whatever that is right well one of the things that I hear people say you are more so like um skeptics mm -hmm. they they say well if you're psychic you should be able to tell me like the lottery or you should be able to make yourself really rich or you know what what do you say <laughs> to people who think that way uh, well i'm not doing too bad on the second the first uh, the first i for you <laughs> thanks i think the first is a fundamental misunderstanding of what psychic work is um you know it's not that i mean people winning the lottery is just uh, it's so funny because you're right that is always where um particularly not very smart people go when they're going to question the validity of my work, um, which thankfully at this stage, I'm like, I don't have to deal with people like this very, like if ever, it's kind of entertaining to encounter them. But um, mm -hmm. now what I would say is, you know, the lottery is just, winning the lottery is kind of like so fundamentally unimportant. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and that's not to say that, um, 
poverty is not important and the real lack of money is not a real thing. Like, my God, that's real and that's a real problem. But um, winning the lottery is not, you know, really going to solve very much other than an immediate material need. And in terms of the nature of psychic work, um, it's, it's actually so much more about understanding. So, like, getting figures and numbers for a lottery, it's just, it's just like... Uh, it's just the wrong question. It's just fundamentally the wrong question. Um, having said that, I do some of the work, one of the, the forms of work that I utilize my skills to do is I work with, I have um, uh, uh, someone that I invest, who's a, who's a stock market investor, and I work with him, and we sit down and I plot the charts, the, the locations of where I think certain charts are going to go. So, so it's very, very possible to have like very material evidence, evidential, um, you know, um, effects, if you like, of this work. You just need to know how to, where to look and how to use the skills. But winning the lottery is just like, I mean, it's just so insanely you know like um, what's the word? like like uh, the chances of getting that right are so crazily madly improbable that that it was just right. a total waste of time however it is absolutely possible to really quite accurately predict the direction of the gold chart for example and so as soon as you realize that that's possible and you start paying attention to that then then you make money so yeah that's what i would say <laughs> Magical. Okay. So, um, I'm coming to, uh, I hear about you, uh, your work and I'm someone who's curious of, you know, hiring you and to, as, um, as someone who can help me dive deeper into kind of like hidden messaging and uh, improve either my business or myself or both. Like, um, what is that experience like? So I do, I offer, um, a collection of, of, of readings, but they basically fall into two categories. So um, personal reading, so so working with people one to one to deal with personal matters, and then I work with businesses. Um, and in fact, my favorite people, my favorite clients, if I could, you know, um, wave a magic wand and say, ninety percent of my clients would be um, entrepreneurial women, really. So women that are that are that have their own business um, and are wanting to expand that and be more successful, both you know, commercially, materially, as well as just work life balance. So so those are my those are actually the majority of my clients. I've got to say, I'm fortunate in that most of the clients that I work for um, are have have their own business. And so, what I offer are business readings. So these are basically divination, so tarot card readings. But the cards are sort of used as a way of structuring and and organizing the information that I that I get from um, my spirit guides. So with anything, it's possible to pay attention to it and get extra information. And when one's working with spirit guides, it's even it's, it's, it's even possible to get like very detailed, specific information. Um, so if you were coming to me and you had a, a business, either a well-established business or something, just a business idea, the process is the same. So I would connect up with my guides. I would be asking them to show us everything that you need to know in order to make decisions and choices that will lead you to success and happiness, whatever that means for you. Because, you know, one person's um, success may well involve them quitting their business and going to work in a supermarket. Like that could be success by all means. And another person's could be the opposite that, you know, they should take their business idea and leave their job in the supermarket and and, and start their business. So I never know what what's going to come up. But um, generally, what happens is I get very specific, clear information about um, well about the business and where energy should be focused, like what actions need to be taken, what um, particular and specific um, steps there are between where they are to get to where they want to get to. I mean, whole business plans are often presented. It's really quite amazing to me wow. um, what what comes up. Yeah, and I and I work with businesses as I say from from people that just have a vague idea of what they maybe might want to do at some point all the way up to multinational corporations hire me for for the same um I just charge them very much different amounts of money (laughs) well that I've never heard of someone doing your type of work for businesses um Mm. and I'm glad that you're focusing on I don't know if you're focusing on that intentionally, but um, females in business, because I feel like this is a conversation that's, you know, global, but about more so the suppression of women and for forever, basically. No, absolutely. I mean, like I, I'm very 
I say on all of my literature and my website that I, I my aim is to sort of give um, access to information um, that's hidden from women and, and non-binary people. So basically everyone that's not a man. Now that's not to say that I won't read for men. A lot of my clients uh, are men and some of my sort of sounds so funny. I'm like, some of my favorite people are men. Actually, that's not really true, but like some of my favorite <laughs> clients happen to be men and they've been coming to me for years and I will not, it's not that I won't work for men, but I intentionally and actively prioritize work with women and people that are, that are non-binary. So neither men nor women. And that's for a really important reason. As far as I'm concerned, men are under, you know, we all live under patriarchy, unfortunately, and men are so significantly benefited by that. They have so much advantage in the world that it would seem totally shitty really of me to be contributing this incredible gift and ability let's say we call it a gift ability that I have to just you know add to that advantage that they have when women and people that are not men are so actively oppressed um Mm. in 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 the culture that we have so you know I will work for men but it's kind of like I think of it like Robin Hood. I, for a start, I charge them more money and I um, will only read for a certain amount per month. That's my kind of men max. Um, oh. And then <laughs> the, 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 the rest of my, of my time and, and my um, effort and energy is focused on the bettering of women because that's, that's you know, it's, it's what's right. Um, and also I feel very passionately that we we need to, you know, ba- sort of bands together. That's the only way that oppression ends is ultimately through revolution. Um, and and I think really, as women, any of us that have any abilities whatsoever to improve the lives of others, we should start with our own. So that's you know, what what why? Hmm. Magical in in all forms. Well, as far as like your own like personal development and self care. Um, do you have like rituals that you do daily, weekly, monthly to, you know, just be in your best head, spirit, Absolutely. physical yeah. space? Yeah, I have. Um, gosh, I mean, to keep me going is like a team effort. Like, <laughs> um, I think because the nature of my work, as you, as you mentioned, is, is so, it's so intense and it's very, um, it, it's, I don't know, I go very deep, very quickly with every client that I that I work for. Um, and so it's really important for me to be able to maintain um, physical health and, you know, energetic health boundaries are the sort of number one thing that I need to sort of um, maintain. And one can only maintain one's boundaries if one is, you know, has a good amount of energy, it requires energy to maintain boundaries. Um, so yes, every morning I have, a, I have, a, I have routines for everything and rituals for everything. I mean, that's part of um, magical work is ritual, um, because ritual is simply a repetitive action that focuses intention on a particular thing. Um, so I have morning rituals, which involve me, um, you know, meditating every morning, I sage my workspace I make coffee for my partner we have breakfast together we sort of play with the animals we have three animals in a one-bedroom Brooklyn apartment it's quite an intense experience (laughs) and and then I start work and then in the evening it's the sort of opposite of that so I um also sage the the area that I've been working in um and then make myself uh sounds so so basic but like pour myself a glass of seltzer water over some ice and a little slice of lemon and that's like my sign that my day is done um and then I you know watch crappy tv after after cooking a nice a nice meal but um I also have a collection of uh I guess I always I'm always cautious about calling them degenerative diseases because I feel like words have so much power and I don't really want to believe that things are actually going to degenerate but I I have chronic illnesses and uh, a couple of um, autoimmune issues diseases which means that I have to be really um, on it with my physical health and my diet particularly so that's my main my main area of self-care is actually to do with my physical energy Um, and then from from having good physical energy I can maintain my energetic boundaries which comes through visualizations and and meditations mainly but having said all of that I also I also take antidepressants every day which I would not survive without without Mm -hmm. antidepressants you know have um uh, 
that depression and anxiety um and then a whole collection of herbal supplements and um uh yeah like tinctures teas everything you could uh, supplements you can imagine i have a whole huge protocol of that see a therapist every week i have a money coach i have a business coach you know it's like a team effort to keep this show rolling (laughs) 100 well i feel like probably in your work you're just energetically just drained constantly and that has to automatically impact your body um not just your spirit yeah it's funny i mean i feel like when I started doing this work because I wasn't trained really I didn't it wasn't until much late well a little bit later on that I started to learn about um spiritual traditions and energetic work where where you're taught how to ground yourself and how to protect yourself energetically initially it was totally exhausting for me like I really was drained whereas now because I know the techniques that I have to implement every day in order to do this work um you know daily or weekly um, it's actually not so draining. It has the potential to be draining. Like last week, for example, if um, I found my, you know, I was traveling a lot um, and I found myself, you know, slacking on my normal kind of energetic hygiene, for example. So I wasn't grounding myself as much as normal because I sort of was out of home. So I'd sort of forgotten about that ritual. And then, and then I found, you know, I did a day of work and I was totally exhausted, like fully exhausted and you know also felt felt very emotional about the the clients that I'd seen that day you know was sort of wanted feeling like I was crying about one of their situations you know really crazy for me that's quite quite unusual because I deal with people most of the time when people come to me there's it's not because things are going well put it that way you know like uh it's it's generally the case that there's some sort of serious shit going down um and so i i i have to say i'm pretty good at maintaining um you know very good boundaries and and i'm able to be very compassionate and fully see and feel and hear what's going on for them but not take it on but Mm -hmm. occasionally it you know something slips through uh and yeah and i and then i'm like in pieces for for a couple of days and i've got to you know, sort myself out again. But, but, but yes, I think basically I have to maintain a strong collection of boundaries in all ways. That's, that's the, the key to my being able to, to work as much as I do really is, is strong, strong boundaries, which often, which interestingly people respond very differently to either. They think that it's wonderful and inspiring and great to see a woman who's like clear about what they'll do and what they won't, or they respond very differently to that which is always entertaining to me because I'm just like, oh, I've identified someone I won't work for. Cool, let's move on. <laughs> and there's so much power there. Yes. I mean, this is the thing. I had a funny a funny um, interaction this week, which is like quite common for me when I'll get an email from someone, maybe I've read for them once, and they'll they'll recommend someone, which I, lo- I love. I must say this, like the only, my favorite type of work is word of mouth. And I'm really fortunate that like 90% of my work comes through word of mouth because I know that if I've read for someone and they've had a good experience enough to recommend their friend, then it's likely that I'll be able to help their friend in a similar way. And, and there's always just like a good energy to start off with in that, in that situation. Anyway, I, I got an email from someone um, who had been recommended by a friend and she was asking for some special sort of set up often people ask for discounts um or they'll they'll this particular person wanted to like have a reading but couldn't spend 45 minutes on the phone because that's how long my readings are 45 minutes um and so wanted to pay for one 45 minute reading but have it split over two days Um, and I was like oh I'm sorry no like I mean I'm just perfectly politely like that's not I don't offer that I'm sorry no um but she just sort of wouldn't believe that I would say no and um, was threatened me of like, not only would she not come back to me, but she would not send any of her friends to me. And I'm like, God, honey, do you realize like, I'm fully booked for the next three weeks, possibly next month. I'm cool with you not recommending me. Right, like dodge that bullet. Right, you know, precisely yeah. because I, I re- rely upon rec- recommendations and word of mouth. Don't get me wrong. Like it's absolutely my bread and butter and I require and re- and appreciate and love and need those recommendations, but not from people that will, like that basically, not from people that as soon as you establish a boundary, they want to fuck with you and they want to push you. It's like, you know what? I can miss with miss me with that. Fully miss me with that. Right. So for people who are are listening to this and they're going through a similar 
um, space in like their business and their personal life. Like for me, like in my bachelor business, sometimes I take on clients and I'm like, Oh, I know they're going to be not worth it to, to kind of put it very bluntly. And you know, they're at least initially, I'm like, oh, there's like fear that if I don't accept them, you know, the business won't make money, et cetera, et cetera. So for those who are kind of in that same space where they have to say yes or no, um, do you have any words of wisdom for like telling, having them say no? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose it depends, doesn't it? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, this is probably my 20th year in, in my business. So it's probably only the last five years when I've that I've been in the position to be able to say no thanks you know like confidently and it not impact my my business detrimentally so I think the first thing is to work out like where are you actually in your business like are you are you in a position where you do actually realistically to pay the bills need to still say yes to 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 asshole clients and like for every single person that's ever run a business like believe me obviously we've all got to go through that phase and sometimes that phase lasts a couple of months sometimes it's a couple of years for me it was definitely years like years and years but I also think that you know the mind plays tricks on us and is constantly undermining us and I think that it's very often the case that I see women particularly being in actually really quite strong positions. They don't really need to be, you know, eating shit. And they, they still somehow think or, or have been told that, you know, there's this this poverty consciousness and this scarcity mentality, which means that they have to accept everything and say yes to everything still. And so I suppose the first thing I would say is take a really like rational, unemotional look at at where you actually are financially and in terms of repeat business. Like if you were to just start saying no to, to clients that you really don't enjoy working with, like would that have a detrimental impact? And if it wouldn't, or you're not sure, just say no, try it out. Nothing's permanent. Try mm-hmm. it, first, you know, like have a go. Um, but the other thing I would say is, you know, we are, we are enculturated and socialized as women to say yes to everything and everyone. And so my response to that is my default is no. My default is no with everything. And then if, if I want to change my mind, then somebody has to convince me that it's the right decision to change my mind on that. Because, because I think I'm very suspicious of, you know, our in, in, in sort of internal socialized Im, impulse to say yes to everything, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And also the other thing is you've got to weigh up what it's worth. Like is if, you, if there's a certain client, I mean, I remember this even when I was like scraping around for my rent, there was a certain client, he was a man and he was creepy as hell and he would, he would come for um, healings because I also uh, trained and worked with a crystal healer at the same time as, as a tarot reader. He would come for crystal healings every day um which is like totally not necessary at all and i would say to him you don't need to come back for like three weeks um he would come for crystal healings every day just because and i knew this i knew this so he could lie on the couch and have my hands like placed on his shoulders and be like close to me and Mm. it creeped me out so much um that in the end i was like god this is i think it was like 25 pounds and that was a lot of money to me then i just decided it's actually really not worth that 25 pounds for me to be feeling this uncomfortable or this angry or this whatever it is that one feels when you have a client that you don't want to work for and so even then I was like no you know what I've, I've weighed it up in my mind and it's actually absolutely not worth it so no people mm. you're gone <laughs> so that's what I would say assess actually the reality of your situation and then try saying no and and remember that nothing's permanent so you can make a decision and we you know go back on that decision in a month's time worst case scenario is you've like missed out on one asshole client i mean believe me there'll be many more (laughs) well thank you for that very powerful um bit of of advice and i'm certainly going to take it (laughs) and apply it um even more so than what i already do and um i just i want to ask just kind of a few more like rapid fire questions um and one of them is if there are people out there i'm sure they're or more than we know, um, who are kind of at the beginning stages of kind of feeling like there's a portal or, um, you know, they're seeing and, and hearing, um, what would you recommend that they do? Um, so the first thing I would say is create and, and form a meditation practice. Like this is the most boring thing on earth to do actually. And it's extremely difficult to, to start with, but it's so essential to your physical health, your emotional health and your, and your ability to manage, this energy because if you if you are already feeling that you're in touch with other 
beings or other things or other energies or however it manifests for you, then the, the biggest job you're going to have in your life is learning how to manage those energies. And the only way that you can manage them is by using your, your mind. So you, one needs to develop that muscle. So start meditating. And, and then secondly, like start, start reading, but be selective about, you know, who you pay attention to, because there's a whole lot of crazy people out there, you know, who will Amazing. Okay. And um, for those who are looking to find you, and of course, I'll, I'll link in the show notes, where, where can they, where can they see more about you and your work and, and potentially request to um to work with you um so the best platform i think the the platform i use the most is instagram i'm on instagram every day it's kind of an addiction um so instagram and i have a website uh and i have a couple of books um the first the the first book that i wrote is being republished actually so that will be out second edition is coming out in um November actually it's supposed supposed to be October 31st Halloween although that makes me cringe a little bit because it's such a mm. but um but yes um Instagram is has has everything every link okay great and what's your what's your Instagram handle um it's Kate Thomas PhD and Thomas is T-O-M-A-S correct yeah, right. right. it's so misspelled by um I want to make sure yeah, I want to make sure that people, if they don't look at the show notes, they'll be able to find you. And then yeah. as far as your book uh, that's being republished, congrats. And what's the title? Um, so it's called Chakra Crystals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a book about meditating with crystals, and but also uh, about how to work with crystals generally. So how to choose them, program them, um, you know, mm-hmm. dedicate them, cleanse them. And mainly it, it sort of helps you to develop a meditation practice. So really, if you are starting out on any kind of spiritual journey everyone says you need to meditate but but not very many people sort of tell you really how right um, there's so many different styles and, right. and what is meditation versus mindfulness right yeah exactly I mean I honestly couldn't even tell you the answer to that and I this is my profession you know like what the hell is the difference between this I don't really know I think mindfulness is just being present I think mindfulness is a kind of non-spiritual term that's sort of safe for most people to describe meditation because meditation is simply the the focus on one thing to the exclusion of all else like that's all it is and and mindfulness sort of encourages you to focus on the breath um, which is a very effective meditation technique. So go share. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And then just one last question before, um, we come to a close. Um, and I ask everybody this, what are you, um, as I'd like to say, tooting your horn about, what are you, what are you celebrating right now? Um, that's a really good question. Um, the thing that I'm celebrating at the moment is my partner Ames and I have just, um agreed to take on we've we've we found a house that we want to live in and we've we're just about to sign the contract on that so we're actually emigrating we're moving from new york which is where we are now back to england um oh. and we just found like a big three-bedroom house with a huge garden and the animals will be able to go outside it's outside it's the the back garden backs onto a, a huge ancient forest. It's like some crazy magical woodland uh, place. So, so that's that's the most exciting stuff that's going on for us right now, which is pretty exciting. That is very exciting and very adult. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, it has been awesome to talk with you, Kate, and thank you for sharing your journey and all of your words of wisdom. Um, I wish you a beautiful evening and a happy journey back to uh, England. Thank you so much. It was great fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.